Today, I want to talk to you about this, uh, this idea of being on mission every day. But before we go there, uh, talking about being on mission as a church, last Sunday was football Sunday for us. And many of you invited uh, your friends, many of you invited others to come and be a part of it. And uh, we had our highest attendance Sunday uh, for the year, last Sunday. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. Now, if you missed it, I'm sorry, you missed the most exciting part of Super Bowl Sunday. Because I'm going to tell you, our service was way better than that game. Right? Right? I know. For the Patriot fans, a win's a win. So you, you can have it. Congratulations. But man, if you missed last Sunday morning, you missed the best part of Super Bowl Sunday. Listen, here's what's on my heart today. I just want to testify. Can I testify today? I want to just tell you about the goodness of God. This happened recently in my life. Um, it was January 28th, so just a couple weeks ago on a Monday. Monday's usually uh, the day off that I take, so I was out on Monday. I don't know if you remember this, but it was uh, cold. It was like 23 degrees that day, and um, down south of us at the next bridge at Holtwood on the Lancaster side, uh, there's uh, water from a natural spring that just flows off that rock all the time. And so when it gets really cold, uh, it, it freezes and ice. And that's good news for me and for my friend Matt because we like to go ice climbing. And so on the 28th, a couple Mondays ago, that's what we did. We went ice climbing. I got a picture of us together. That's us. That's me with my helmet on. Safety first, kids. And uh, so... We were, we were ice climbing together that day, and in fact, I got a picture from the top. This was me looking down at my friend. Yeah. Always time to stop for a selfie, right? Like, right? That guy down there with the other end of the rope that's hanging, my life is hanging by, that's my friend Matt. Uh, but I want to tell you about the other guy that was in that picture, because uh, what happened is we were there climbing that day, and this truck drove by, and uh, the guy's name is Terry. He saw us there. He went across the bridge, all mile and a half across the bridge, turned around and drove the whole way back and pulled over on the side of the road. He said, I've lived in this area for all my life, and I've been watching that ice form over there for the last, like, four days. Every day I've driven by here, and I'm just fascinated by it. And I just wondered if anybody was crazy enough to climb it. <laughs> and I had to meet you guys. So we assured him we're not crazy. In fact, a lot of people climb this ice. And we've done it before, and, and you could do this, Terry. You could climb this ice. And he goes, oh, no, I, I couldn't do it. Man, I, I hurt my back. And, and he starts telling us about his back injury and, and everything that happened and how he has a hard time getting out of bed. And then his wife is sitting in the truck there, and he says, oh, yeah, sometimes she has to, I mean, she has to, like, pick me up to get me out of bed in the mornings. We're like, wow. So then we said something to Terry, just kind of prompted in the moment, said, could we pray for you? And when we said that, Terry looked at us like no one has ever in their life offered to pray for this guy. He got real serious, and he said, yeah. And then, and then he, just, he just like bends over, and, and he just stands there. And so we just put our hands on Terry, and we just began to pray, God, heal his back. You know, it's not a coincidence that you brought him here to check out this ice for the fourth day in the row, and, and here we are climbing, and we believe you can heal, so God, would you heal him? And we said amen, and, and Terry, and tears were in his eyes, and he goes, thank you, man. thank you guys so much, thank you. After about the fourth time, he said, thank you. I, I'm kind of a, I don't know, a skeptic, so I'm like, I want to know, like, are you healed, you know? So I, we said, well, Terry... Uh, is there anything that you couldn't do before we prayed that maybe you could try to do now? 
so we could see if God healed you? He goes, well, I, I tell you this, if, if I sit down on that ground, I would not be able to get back up on my own. I said, well, why don't you sit down? So, so here we are on the side of the road down there, and Terry sits down in the grass, and I'm wondering now, like, what in the world is his wife thinking? <laughs> She's sitting in the truck, you know, watching all this. <laughs> so we talk for a little while, and then, and then we're like, hey, Terry, why, why don't you try to stand up? He goes, okay. So he, he just pops up to his feet, you know, and uh, oh, man, praise God, amen, yeah. So... He's crying again. Tears are welling up. And he looks at us. He goes, you guys are amazing. You guys are, who are you guys? It was like, this is so cool. It reminded me of that moment in, in the book of Acts where Paul is healing people. And they're so amazed that they actually try to start worshiping him. And he's like, whoa, time out. I'm not, I'm not the savior. And he points them to Jesus. And, and in that moment, that's what we had the opportunity to do. I mean, Terry, he said it probably three or four times. Who are you guys? Like, so we're like, Terry, listen, listen, here, here's who we know. Here's what Jesus can do. And so as we got to talk to him about Jesus, then we ask him a question. And can I just tell you, sometimes the best thing you can do is just ask people a question. We worry so much about having the answer. Just have the question. The Holy Spirit's working. And so, so we just ask him a question. Uh, Terry, do you believe in God? Yeah, I do. I'm sure if he didn't, he was like, yeah, I do now. I'm like, yeah, I do. And we said, well, where do you think you're going to go when you die? So I'm going to go to heaven. Then we asked this question. This is a great question to ask people. Why do you think God would let you in? Now, Terry had already told us a little bit about himself and his you know, carousing days and his motorcycle days and how he got his back injuries. And, and so he wasn't going to go down that road of I'm a good person. You know, it's like we knew. But he did, he did what all of us want to do. And, and essentially, he said, I, I, I just, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I've, I've tried, you know. He couldn't say I've been good. He couldn't say I've been perfect. But I, I feel like I've tried. And I, I just think, you know, when I, when I die, you know, God's going God's gonna to let me into heaven. And so we asked him this question, said, if, if what you believe wasn't true, would you want to know it? Now, if you ask somebody that question and they say, well, no, well, the conversation is pretty much over. <laughs> because if they don't want to know the truth, they're not going to be set free by the truth. Don't waste your time debating with people. We just ask him, hey, if what you believe is not true, would you want to know it? Terry said, yeah. Yeah, I'd want to know it. So we began to tell Terry about how you can only be saved by having a relationship with Jesus and that none of us are good enough. And so if you'll just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, he will. And you can actually know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven because Jesus lives with you. Terry's going, wow, okay. So we said, do you want to ask Jesus to live with you? Yeah, I do. So we said, all right, well, let's, let's just pray. So we gathered again, second time. Now Terry's standing upright, and we're praying again. And, and we just said, Jesus, forgive us of our sins. And Lord, we want you to live inside of us. Lord, help Terry to know that you love him and that you're with him from now till the day he dies. You love him. You've saved him today. 
Amen. And Terry's crying again. And I'm looking over my shoulder. His wife's still watching curiously through the truck. <laughs> and we're like, man, this is so incredible. I mean, God just saved Terry right there on the side of the road. And we, I mean, we celebrated. You know, he thanked us profusely. We hugged him. And we were just so grateful. And the reason I want to tell you that story is because of this. We did not set out that morning to go on an evangelistic crusade. We did not decide, you know what? It's Monday. Let's go stand on the side of the road and see who stops by. We'll corner them for Jesus. No. No, we just went out that day to enjoy the day off, to get some ice climbing in, to have a little bit of fun. And that is, that's the, the heartbeat of what I want to say to you today. That's the big idea behind this message and this series that we're launching into. It's this. Missions is not a fund that you give to. It's not just a place that you go to. Missions is wherever you are. Missions is not coordinates that you type in and say, that's the mission field. You are walking coordinates. Everywhere you go, you're the walking coordinates for the plan of God. Have you ever noticed when you read the, the Gospels how much of Jesus' ministry happens on the way? It's not where he's going, it's as he's going. In fact, I, I want to I wanna just show you several verses in Matthew chapter 8. Now, we don't have time to look at all the places, but we're just going to do a, a fly over here, 30,000 feet. Let's just take a look at some of the places that, that we can see this pattern of how mission plays out in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, the first verse, it says this. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. So you're not seeing a healing line. You're not seeing a, an altar team in place. You're not seeing a crusade. Jesus comes down, and here's a man with leprosy that comes to find him. So Jesus, the guy said, if you're willing, would you heal me? Jesus said, I'm willing. I love that verse. Verse 3, I'm willing. And so Jesus heals the man. Look, look down at verse 5. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, new town, a centurion came to him asking for help. This guy tells him, my servant is paralyzed. He, he's in pain. He, he needs healing. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. I'll heal him. And so Jesus is, meets him in that moment as he's going. Look down at verse 14. Here's another scenario. Ministry day is over. Time to go get some rest. Time to get something to eat. It says in verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, that was his friend, his disciple, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. As you're going, oh, your, your mother-in-law's sick. So what does it say? Jesus stretched out his hand. He touched her. He lifted her up. He healed her of the fever. A little farther in chapter 8, look at verse 28. The Bible says that that Jesus had gotten in a boat and he went to the other side. He had had a full day of ministry. Now everywhere he goes, people are just interrupting his life and he's ministering to people. And so he goes to the other side. And verse 28 says, when he arrived on the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Incredible moment. They just come running out to meet Jesus. And he has this encounter with them. And, and he delivers them from the, the demons that were possessing their life. Sets them free. Changes their life. Gets back in the boat. Goes back to the other side. Chapter 9. 
Verse 1, look at it. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town, and some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. So here we are again. As you're going, I'm talking about mission not being a place you go, but as you go. So Jesus heals the man who's paralyzed and lying on a mat. Verse 9 says this. As Jesus went out from there, next place, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. So as he's going, he's making disciples. He's inviting people to follow him. Look down at verse 18, Matthew 9. While he was saying this, so he's in mid-conversation. While he's saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has died. So Jesus says, you know what? Let's go to your house. Let's pray for your daughter. As he's going, verse 20 says, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. So he stops going to this man's house and he ministers to this lady, heals her and says, okay, now let's go ahead and let's keep going to your house. Verse 27 says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy, son of David. So while he's on mission, people are coming behind him. And and this is just a little snapshot of the way it worked in the life of Jesus. Mission is not a place I go to. It's as I'm going. It's as we're going that the gospel just begins to be lived out and fleshed out in our lives. I just wonder this morning, what would it look like for you and for me as the body of Christ, if we started viewing mission as a lifestyle and not a location. That that mission fields are not always foreign, but they're also familiar. That it's not just nations, but it's also neighbors. That it's not just other continents, it's also conference rooms. And it's the place where you live, and it's the place where you just serve the Lord daily. It's where people come across your path. What would it look like if we viewed missions as a lifestyle and not a location? And I just wonder today, and I pray that you would be so bold to do this. I wonder what it would look like if you and I made a mission goal this year. A personal mission goal. Not not a giving goal. We've covered that. A going goal. What if you made a personal goal this year to say, in 2019, I want to lead one person to Jesus Christ personally? How many of you know that would be absolute revival if one year from now we looked in here and every one of us could see somebody that we led to Jesus and that we're discipling? I thought you'd be way more excited about that. I got to be honest. I just got to be honest. I gotta, we we got to equalize this thing. We're in two different places right now. Imagine the implications on the church. If ever, I'm not talking about Billy Graham crusades. I'm not talking about reaching thousands. I'm talking about what would happen in the life of the church, in the life of this community, if in one year every Christian said, I'm going to reach one person for Jesus. Just one. One. A hundred people in this service would be 200. The 200 plus that we have here in both services would be 400 plus the way the gospel works. And I want to challenge you today to be wise, to be wise, because that's what the Bible says a soul winner is. Listen to this verse. I love this verse. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree 
of life. And the one who is wise saves souls. Isn't that a great verse? The one who is wise saves souls. Souls. So I'm going to give you some very practical steps today. And the first one, this is like an easy onboard. We can all get on this one. Point number one, invite. Invite. Everybody ought to be able to invite somebody to church. You know, that's why we have big event Sundays like last weekend. With football Sunday, listen, now personally, I love football, but I know not everybody loves football. And we would not give a Sunday to a hobby. We are giving a Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday to leverage what is the undesignated national holiday so that we can present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that, that you did your part last week, and many of you did. In both of our services, we had a full house, and in both of our services, people raised their hand and said, I want to accept Jesus Christ into my life. That's good news. Amen? Last weekend, people got saved because of an invitation. And can I just say this to you? Because you, you need to know in my heart as your pastor, it doesn't matter if we got a special event going on or not. There is... Not a Sunday that's going to go by that I don't stand here with the expectation that there's somebody listening to this sermon that doesn't know Jesus. That on any given Sunday, there's somebody who needs to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why every weekend we'll give people the opportunity to pray a prayer of salvation, just like we prayed earlier as we received communion. Every weekend, I want you to know, I, I want some some credibility with you because we're partners in this. I want you to know that if you can just get that family member or that coworker or that neighbor to come to church with you, you can know that they are going to have an opportunity to meet Jesus. You're not going to show up on some Sunday, you finally got your friend here, and then you get here, and then I stand up and say, well, we're going to take today to do a PowerPoint presentation on the renovations that are coming up in the church. No. If you want to know those details, you got to come to the Sunday night meeting. If you come Sunday morning, I want you to know you're going to get the gospel. Whether we're preaching about the cross or preaching about tithing, somewhere we're going to preach a text and we're going to pivot and make a beeline for the cross. Because I just believe that Sunday morning is an opportunity for people to know Jesus. You need to know that's my expectation as your pastor. This week, Pastor Chris shared a stat with me that just just blew my mind. I have to share it with you. Here's what he found out. LifeWay Research did a study that showed that only 2% of Christians in America have actually invited someone to church in the last 12 months. That blows my mind. And to be honest, I don't think that's quite true in our church. Praise God. I know a lot more than 2% of you have invited people to church. But this is across the board Christendom in the United States of America, which means there's a whole lot of people that are a big fat zero, right? If you get us down to 2%, there's a whole lot, the vast majority of Christians that never just invite someone, just invite them to church. Not talking about you taking somebody down the Romans road and explaining the gospel or preaching somewhere. I'm talking about just inviting people to church. So as I said earlier, this is the, this is the easy on-ramp. This is the low-hanging fruit. If you don't get me another amen for the rest of the message, you ought to be good with this one. We can invite people to church. 
I heard a story that D.L. Moody uh, told a preacher from a century ago. He told the story of a wealthy London banker who had gotten saved, but he felt himself to be unqualified to be a soul winner. He, he heard the preacher talking about reaching the lost, and he just felt like, I, I just, I can't do it. I, I don't have the words. I don't have the courage. I'm not, I'm not good with people. And so he decided to do something, though. And this was back in the horse and carriage days. And so what he did is he, he called for a cab. He hailed the cab, and he got in the carriage, and he told the driver, he said, I want you to take me to the D.L. Moody crusade. And I'll pay the full fare, but when we get there, I'll tend your horse, and I want you to go inside and just listen, and I'll pay you for your time. And so that silent witness sat outside tending the horse while that older gentleman went inside and heard Dwight Moody preach the gospel, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And when D.L. Moody told that story, he said, look, you might not be a great evangelist, but you can tend a horse. I love that. And that's true for us. I mean, come on. You can tend a horse. You can invite somebody to church. You can offer to buy them lunch. Say, hey, come with me on Sunday. We'll, we'll go to church, and then we'll go to lunch. Do something. But you can tend a horse. You ought to want to tell somebody about the good news. I, I, as I look at the scripture, I see that this is, this is not exceptional. This is... Typical of a person that discovers the good news of salvation. In fact, the very first people to ever receive the good news. It was an angel that announced to shepherds in the fields. Behold, I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. They heard the good news. And the Bible says those shepherds, they ran to see the Christ child. And the moment they did... First reaction. Here's what it says they did. Luke chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Can I just say, when you meet Jesus, you want to tell somebody. I mean, they just, we got to tell people. Nobody commissioned them. Nobody gave them a title or a position or, or, or training. They met the Savior and they said, we got to tell somebody. I think about the story in Mark chapter 5. Let, let's go there for a minute. Mark chapter 5. It's an incredible moment when Jesus crosses over the lake to the region of the Gerasenes and, and there's a man living in that region who has been possessed uh, by demonic spirits, not, not just one, but many. This, this guy, is he's a lunatic. He's stark raving mad. People would have just locked him up, but they couldn't. Every time they tried to chain him up, he would break the chains. He'd rip his clothes off. He'd run through the hills screaming and cutting himself. And, 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 and this guy was a terror to civilization. But when Jesus steps his feet on the shore, this guy comes running out of the hills, and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And the demons manifest in Jesus' presence. And they say, you know, don't cast us out. You know, what are you doing here? They knew exactly who Jesus was. What are you doing here, Jesus, Son of God? They said, don't, don't, don't cast us out. And, and Jesus rebuked those demons, and he cast them into a herd of pigs. 
They were on, and the whole herd of pigs ran off into the sea. Great story. Read it on your own sometime. But what's amazing to me about the story, what's amazing about the story is that this guy is now free. He's never been free. He's free. The Bible says he was sitting. He never sat right before. He was crazy before. He's clothed. And he's in his right mind. And his life has changed. And Jesus gets back in the boat. He's ready to leave. You know, he's done what he came to do. And I want you to look at, at what it says in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Did you know this is the first missionary that was ever sent out by Jesus? It wasn't the apostles. It was this formerly demon-possessed man. And look at what it says in the next verse. So, it, so the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis... How much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Decapolis doesn't mean a city. Decapolis means ten cities. He was released into that whole region like a circuit rider preacher. He's just telling everybody about who he used to be and who he is now because of the power of Jesus, and people were amazed. It's the natural reaction, or maybe I should say the supernatural reaction to a person who has experienced the life-saving, changing power of Jesus Christ to say, i got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I think about the woman in, in John. We've hit all the other gospels. Let's go to that one. John chapter 4. This woman is a Samaritan. She comes to the well to get a drink, and, and she meets Jesus that day, who just happened to be going that way. And she meets Jesus, and, and he begins to have this conversation with her. Long story short, he, he leads her to salvation. And, and this woman is, is amazed at who Jesus is and at what he says. And she says, I, I got I to tell people about this man. And so she goes back into the town. She runs back into the town. And she says to the people, I, I, I love this. She says to the people down in verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She just met Jesus. He just changed her life. It's almost like she's forgotten all of her inhibitions, all, all of her reputation and what everybody else thinks about her. I mean, the story plays out that, that when Jesus said, hey, go and get your husband, she'd actually had five husbands. And the guy that she was living with was not her husband. So you can imagine when she runs back into town telling everybody, hey, I found a man. They're like, I bet you did. <laughs> right? Like, again? For real? <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 wait. <laughs> this one's different. Uh-huh. Right. She said, you don't understand. This one told me everything I ever did. This was something to be ashamed of, but she's amazed. And she says, he might be the Messiah. And the thing that I love the most about this story is after she goes and she tells everybody, and it's so compelling, the people come and they listen. And down in verse 
At, at the end of the story, in verse 42, it says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Amen. That's the gospel. That's how it's supposed to work. Somebody's life gets changed, and they have to tell somebody, and then somebody else's life gets changed. That's why we're here in 2019 in the United States of America reading from this book. How many of you know Jesus was a Jew from the Middle East? But the gospel changes people. It crosses boundaries. It crosses borders. It crosses races and nationalities. That's what happens when we receive the gospel. We have to tell somebody about what God has done. I, I got to be honest. I don't understand this 2% stat. I, I, I believe it's true. I just don't understand it. I have a hard time wrapping my head around understanding how people can live their entire life and not tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. We got to tell somebody or, or at the very least text somebody. I mean, you could do that right now. You know, look around. They're not here. Just send them a message. Wow, I wish you were in church with me today. I'm praying for you. Something to just start the conversation, to just begin the dialogue, to just start talking to somebody. You'll never know what God can do through a simple question. Just asking people questions. You got to tell somebody. That, that, that was true for Terry, the guy that I told you about earlier. You can't have your life changed. You got healed. You got saved. You're like, nice to meet you guys. See you. So, but we had asked Terry, like, hey, you know, do you think we could pray for your wife, too? No, she's not getting out of the truck. <laughs> not happening. It's like 23 degrees outside. Like, no, see, that, that's not her. Two different times we had asked, and, and you know, he, he said, no, nah, that, that's not going to happen. So we, you know, we didn't push it. Okay, well, listen, you know, he had shared with us that his wife was battling cancer in the course of our conversation. And, uh, she was actually going the next day to, to have some tests done on a spot they found on her lung. The amazing part of the story is they would have never found the spot except for the fact that she had a little bit of cancer in her mouth. They had a sore that they could see, and she got it checked out. And so that led to a diagnosis and to some the, the PET scans and the EKGs, all the tests they had to do. And they said, wow, there's a spot on your lung. And so we prayed with Terry for his wife, but we didn't push the issue. So he, he left, and we decided it's lunchtime. So we're sitting on the side of the road, me and Matt, and we're getting lunch out. We're getting ready to eat. And I, I keep looking over at the truck over there because they're just sitting in there. You know, he's talking. And, and I'm just wondering, like, what? What's going to happen here? Like, are they really just going to drive off? Like, what's going to happen? And so we're, we're just talking for a while. Sure enough, the truck door opens up. Terry gets back out. He goes around the other side. And he opens the door. And, and he, he gets his, his wife out of the truck. And they start walking over. And so she's looking at us like, She's not saying it, but she's thinking, you guys are amazing. I know it. She's just looking at us like, this is great. And Terry's just looking at us the whole time. He's walking, winking. Like, like, we got a partner in crime now. I mean, he's in on it. And so, so we, told, we told Betty, we said, Betty, you know, Terry told us that, that you have tests run tomorrow, that you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, yeah. So, well, could we pray for you too? Yeah, yeah, please, please. I mean, Terry's already been healed, so why not? 
So one more time, we all gather together. Now, now the three become four, and we're praying together for Betty. And, and we're just asking Jesus to heal her, and we're, we're encouraging her to see that, you know what? God's been good to you. I know, I know it sounds bad to say I have a spot on my lung, but, but if you hadn't had that spot in your mouth, they wouldn't have diagnosed you. And now, even if God doesn't heal you miraculously right now, you're getting the help you need. They've caught it early, and God's been good to you. It's not a coincidence that, that you guys drove by in your truck and that the two of us are here climbing today. And so we just began to encourage them, and we prayed for her and said amen, and then, and then we decided to ask a question. We asked her the same question that we had asked Terry about 25 minutes earlier. We said, so Betty, do you believe in God? And she said, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I grew up in church. You know, I, I believe in the Bible and, and Jesus. And, and so she goes down that road. Maybe you've had people do that before. When you start to have a little bit of a spiritual conversation, they tell you all the stuff they know really quick. Like, let's not get into this kind of thing. I don't know. But she's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So we, I just asked this question. I said, how long has it been since you were in church? You know, if, if you're trying to witness to somebody and you ask them if they go to church and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, but you know they don't, just ask them, really, where do you go? And if they get that answer right, ask them, oh, wow, what's your pastor's name? <laughs> that gets them every time. God, I don't know that guy. You don't go to church. You don't even, my name's Aaron, by the way. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but usually, if you go to church with some consistency, you know, you learn that. So, so we find out she hadn't been in church in forever. And, and so... But she, she believed in Jesus. She believed in Jesus' death, his, his resurrection. And so we said this. We said, Betty, have you ever asked Jesus to, to come into your heart? Have you ever asked him to be your savior? She said, no, I, no, I don't guess so. I never did that. Said, Do you want to? She said, yeah. And Terry's crying again. And she said, yeah. I said, well, well let's pray. Let's pray. And so my friend Matt, he, he began to lead in, in the prayer. And, and, and we just, again, we just thank God that, that his grace brought us together, that God loves us enough that we could have this conversation on the side of the highway on a 23-degree Monday. And we just led her in this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I, I give you my life. I, I receive your salvation. I receive your forgiveness. And in a miraculous moment, two became four. The kingdom of God was expanded right then. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Now, I got to say, I, I wouldn't have said, hey, can I take your picture? This will make a great sermon illustration. I wouldn't have done that to him. But after we prayed together, they said, can we take a picture with you guys? And I said, Absolutely, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we got a picture of all of us together. And I can't wait. And I don't know if I'll ever see them again, this side of heaven. But I can't wait because one day I know. One day I know. We're going to walk on streets of gold. And I'm going to see my brother and my sister. I'm going to see Terry and Betty. And we're going to probably want to take another selfie. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And here's what I know. You're going to want that experience, too. We're going to want to have that reality. When we get there and we see majesty with our own eyes, we're going to say, oh, man, I hope I, hope I brought somebody. I hope I told somebody. I hope somebody is here because of me. Surely I didn't keep all this to myself. And you'll look for your family first, no doubt. 
God, help us that we can look around and see so many other people because we refuse to be the 2% that would take the greatest treasure that's been offered to mankind and keep it to ourselves. So I want to, again, tell you, everybody can get in on level one. Invite somebody. I mean, just invite somebody. You can hold a horse. I mean, come on. You can hold a horse. You can tend a horse. If you can't preach the gospel, at least invite somebody to hear the gospel. But I think God wants you to do more than be a bringer. God wants to use you, and I want to challenge you to make that your mission. This year, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I am going to lead somebody to Jesus. So the second thing you have to do is this. Ask God to use you. Ask God to use you. I know know that sounds simple, but it's where we begin. I, I love the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. God used him to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And in our prayer gathering on Wednesday night, we looked at his story. We talked about it a little bit. I just want to show you one verse out of the story because Nehemiah was living in captivity in Babylon. He was 500 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. But some people came from there and he asked about how the city was and they told him, it's it's terrible. The walls are destroyed. And so here's Nehemiah. His heart is open to do something, but he feels completely incapable, 500 miles away. But here's what he does. He makes himself available. He asks God to use him. Look at verse 4 with me in Nehemiah 1. Here's what it says. When I heard these things about Jerusalem and its condition, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can I just ask you, when's the last time that you prayed and wept for your city, for your coworkers, for your unsaved loved ones? I'm not talking about emotional hype. I'm talking about a burden. When's the last time that you were so moved that you wept for those that don't know God? You know, the Bible says there's only two places recorded in Scripture anyway that Jesus wept. One was at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. Because when somebody dies, it is appropriate, even if you're a man of faith, to cry. And Jesus wept outside of the tomb. But the other place that he wept was outside of the city of Jerusalem. It was at the beginning of his Passion Week, and Jesus is about to go into the city riding a donkey's colt. And people are going to shout Hosanna the way we did at the beginning of this service. But he looks and he sees the city. And the Bible says in that moment, Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem, and saw the city, he wept over it. Does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? Is your heart moved for what moves his heart? That's where we begin. Because listen, if you'll, if you'll get a heart that's broken and, and tender towards the things that God's heart is moved for, I want to tell you today, the only ability that God is looking for is Availability. He's looking for a man, a woman, a student who would say, God, you can use me. You can use me. Let my heart be moved for what moves your heart. That's why I I love the story of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, it's a tough time in the life of God's people. The king, Uzziah, had just died. And, And Isaiah just goes into the presence of the Lord. He goes into a time of worship. And in that moment of worship, he gets a new vision of of what God is like. That's why when you're going through a bad time, that's when you should go to church. Come on, don't let the devil convince you when things are tough that you shouldn't go to church. 
I, it blows my mind when, when Christians tell me that. Ah, we've missed you. Well, we've been going through a hard time. Yeah. You should be the first one here. You should be opening the door for us. You're going through a hard time. You need to get in God's presence. That's what Isaiah did. He got in God's presence. And in the middle of that moment of incredible worship and revelation of who God is and how holy and awesome he is, he hears something. And this is what I want you to see. Isaiah 6, verse 8. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Here am I. Send me. Here's what I love about that encounter in God's presence. Isaiah didn't hear the Lord saying, Isaiah, would you go? Isaiah, will you preach my message? No, Isaiah is in a moment of worship, and he's getting a revelation of God's holiness, and he hears the Lord saying, can I just say to you today, don't wait for the Spirit of God to tap you on the shoulder. Don't wait to be called. What you need to do is just get a burden of prayer for lost souls. You need to ask God to use you, and if you'll enter into his presence with a heart of humility, you'll hear what God has already been saying. Who will go? Who will go? Who can I send? He's already saying it. And if we'll just get into that place where we can hear his heart, he'll, he'll tap you on the shoulder. He'll call you. He'll say, I need someone, anyone. I'm not looking for the most gifted, the most talented, the most eloquent, the most theologically educated. I just need somebody. Who will go? Let me give you the third thing. This one's terribly profound, so you're going to want to write it down. Risk looking stupid. If you're going to be a witness, can I just be honest with you? Not every attempt that I've had to share Christ works out like Terry and Betty's story, okay? I mean, for those of you that were like drawing a halo over me, just get that out of here. It does not go down that way every time. But it can sometimes if I'm willing to risk looking stupid. I'm going to tell you, you risk looking stupid when you tell a total stranger could I pray for you? Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. No, I mean like right now. Yeah. And I pray for you right now on the side of the road while we're standing here, while your wife, your wife is looking at us with that crazy look from the car over there, not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Can I pray for you right now? You risk looking stupid when you ask somebody, hey, why don't you try to do something you couldn't do before we prayed and see if God healed you? Yeah, but what if I do that and God doesn't heal him? Well, then God didn't heal him. You weren't the healer to begin with. See, that's what we have to know. It's not my reputation on the line. If I go in Jesus' name, he can handle his own reputation. And so you got to just be willing to say, you know what? If I look stupid, I'll take that chance. I'll risk my reputation. Paul said this. He said the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. See, some of you wondered, like, what? What if I tell people about Jesus and they think it's foolishness? Well, now you don't have to wonder. I just told you it will be. <laughs> it is. So check that off the list of inhibitions and move on to the next one. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. He goes on a little farther in the next chapter. Verse 14, he says, the person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but they consider them foolishness. They cannot understand them 
because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So you have to understand, like there's some people, you're not going to get it. People aren't going to get it unless the Spirit illuminates their heart. That's why we have to trust the Holy Spirit. I just got to crucify my flesh, get over myself. I love Philippians 2.7 because Jesus is the ultimate example of how to be a soul winner. And, and, and Jesus, it says this about him in, in Luke or Philippians 2.7. It says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The, the New King James Version and the Old King James Version, it says it like this, and I, I like this better. It says, Jesus made himself of no reputation. What a great pattern for us as soul winners to just make up our minds. You know what? I'm going to make myself of no reputation. In other words, I'm not going to go into this opportunity worried about what people think about me. I I just got to tell you this quickly. Uh, Thursday night, Pastor Chris was preaching to our students. It was so good to have so many of our students here today and in the early service too. He was preaching to them about just applying the word of God to your life every day. And so he had them do an exercise at the end. Uh, He took all of us to Psalm 23, and he told all of them, I want you to just read all six verses of Psalm 23, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to make one verse, just kind of stand up off the page, highlight it in your heart. And whatever that one verse is that speaks to you, pray about it, and then write down what God says to you about it. And so I participated with the students. I'm sitting there in the the youth service, and and the verse that stood out to me was Psalm 23, 3. And and so I, I wrote down the verse, he leads me. For his namesake. That's what it says. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And so I I began to just pray, God, why are you speaking this to me? What is it about this verse? And so uh, sometimes we don't know, right? We read it, I don't know. So I just read it again, and I read it again. And about five times in, I began to see what the Holy Spirit was saying. He guides me along the right path, Psalm 23.3, for his namesake. He guides me along the right path for his namesake namesake. And then the application became clear. And I began to realize that not every path that the Lord leads me down is for my reputation. Not every path he leads me down is for my promotion. Not every path that he leads me down is going to put me in a limelight. But he always leads me down the right path for his namesake. He always guides me where he wants me to go for his glory and not my own. And so my prayer, my response to that little devotional thought became really clear. I said, Lord, help me to follow the path for your namesake and not for mine. Help me not run after uh, opportunities and conversations that make me look good, but opportunities and conversations that exalt Jesus. Can I tell you today, that's what God wants out of us. He wants us to be a people of no reputation. And people that will just trust the Holy Spirit. we, we got to stop trying to win people. And just focus on loving people. I don't even know where we got that phrase. Like, let's win the law. Look, you can't win anybody to Jesus. Can I just say that? You can't win anybody to Jesus. In fact, it, it, if you win, they're probably not saved. You might have won the argument. But if you win, I mean, come on. They're probably not saved. It, it was like a... That same old pastor, D.L. Moody, he got in a train car, and, and this drunk came stumbling up to him, and he said, Brother Moody, I'm, I'm one of your converts. And he looked at him, and he said, well, you must be one of mine, because obviously you're not one of the Lord's. <laughs> and the truth is, we can't save anybody, 
But if we can lead people to Jesus, if we can love people to Jesus, if we can get them to him, he can change their life. They'll be radically changed in Jesus' name. That's why this last point is so important. I'll give it to you quickly. The last point is this. Trust the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what it all boils down to? Trust the Holy Spirit. Get a new definition of of what success is. Success is not you leading people to Christ. Success is sharing the gospel and trusting God to do what only God can do. Jesus said this in John. He said, no one seeks the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So unless the Holy Spirit's working, you can talk their ear off, you can debate, you can show them chapter and verse, you can convince them they're wrong, you can win the day, but you won't save a soul. But if we can trust the Holy Spirit to do His work, you can't divorce the supernatural from soul winning. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that there were people that Paul administered to, they, they did in Corinth what we do a lot of times in America. They wanted to elevate the personality that shared the message. And so some of them were saying, well, I'm a follower of Paul. And others were saying, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. I mean, that guy's a powerful communicator. And then others were saying, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so Paul is speaking towards this, this thing of it's about the Holy Spirit's work. It's about what God can do, not us. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. That's the way the gospel works. I plant the seed. Somebody else watered it, but God makes it grow. You know, I've heard that people have to hear the gospel seven times on average, seven times before they come to faith. Now, thank God for those miracle stories. People hear it once and their heart is changed. But you never know if you're number three. If you're sowing the seed, or if you're watering the seed, or if you're number four, or if you're number seven, you don't know what God's doing in the heart of that person. So again, success for us has to be redefined. It's not success is leading somebody to Christ. Success for us is sharing Christ. Sowing the seed, watering the seed, letting God be God, and letting him save souls. He's the only one that can. But you're needed. Every one of us are needed. Statistics tell us that only 15% of people that do come to faith in Jesus come to faith in an evangelistic service. So while we love seeing the the crusades and the packed stadiums and and the the circus tents filled to capacity and and people flooding the altars, those moments are awesome. But only 15% come to Christ in those kind of evangelistic moments. All the rest come... Because of a conversation, a personal invitation, somebody that you know, somebody that loves you, somebody that works with you, somebody that cares about you, shared Jesus with you. That's what it takes. Every one of us, we, we, we're needed because this is God's plan. I, I read a story, happened several years ago in American history. There was a deacon who had the job in church of receiving the, what we call the connect cards the next steps cards. And, and he received the cards one Sunday and, and he had this one card for a person that said they requested a visit from the pastor. But for whatever reason, maybe he just got busy, maybe he got distracted, he set that card off to the side and he kind of forgot about it and it sat there all week. 
Well, that week was the week that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. A week later, that deacon picked up that card, and the name on the card that requested a visit from the pastor was Lee Harvey Oswald, the man who assassinated the President of the United States. We have no idea how the story plays out if we just let the Holy Spirit use us. One opportunity taken advantage of or missed could have a ripple effect on on not just families, but on nations. You are needed. I want to just challenge you again today to not let mission be a set of coordinates. Missions is not a place you go. Missions is as you go. You are the walking coordinates. All of us can invite someone. That shouldn't even be a challenge. Sadly, it is in our world. But all of us can invite people. But I want to challenge you to make up your mind. To say, God, I'm going to open my heart. And I'm going to ask you to use me. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be willing to start the conversations. I'm going to risk looking stupid. If that's, if that's what it takes, God, I, I want to be used by you. I want to pray for you. I want to tell you one final story. One that I, I read of a man who lived in Germany during the days of the Holocaust. Now he's an old man, and through tears, he begins to tell the story of his earlier life. He said, I was a Christian. I was raised in church. I served God all of my life. Went to church every weekend. And then one day we started hearing stories about what was happening to the Jews. And it troubled us so much that, like most people in our country, we tried to just distance ourselves from the reality. We, we just didn't, we didn't want to deal with it. But one day, he became especially concerned because there was a railroad that ran right behind their church. And every Sunday, they'd hear the train whistle blow and they'd hear the wheels cranking down the tracks. But one Sunday, they heard people screaming and calling out. And they realized in that moment, that's the Jews. That's the Jews. They didn't know what to do. But they were so grieved in their heart. It it, it became a moment that everyone anticipated every Sunday. They knew what time the whistle was going to blow and the track, the train was going to come rolling down the tracks. And so every Sunday when they heard the distant whistle blow, They would encourage the people, sing louder, sing louder. And they would play their hymns and they would sing their songs. And they would shut their ears to the cries of hurting people. Can I just say to us today, 2019, we can't afford to just crank up the music and turn a blind eye to a world that is lost and in need of a savior. God needs each and every one of us to do our part. He needs each and every one of us to do our part. I want to ask you if you would bow your head with me right where you're at. Father, in this moment, Lord, would you commission us? Lord, not because we feel especially gifted or because we've studied the Bible extensively, not because we 
our talents set us above others. But God, because we've allowed our heart to be broken for what breaks yours. God, because we have come into your presence enough that we could hear the Lord saying, who will go for me and who can I send? Lord, because we're just willing to say, here I am. Send me. Father, help us this week to crucify our flesh, to make ourselves of no reputation. As men and women, students, that profess our faith in you, that profess to know the one in whom salvation comes, God, help us to tell somebody, to love somebody, to not get into wars with words, but to just love people and point them to Jesus. Help us this week, God, to not be so consumed with having all the answers that we don't just ask questions. Listen to people. Hear their heart. Hear their story. Tell them Jesus loves them. God, I pray this year that, Lord, we would accept a mission challenge. Not just a mission of giving, but a mission of going. Lord, lead us by your spirit. Build your kingdom through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this room. As we prepare to close this service today, and those of you that are staying for Connecting 60, we'll be gathering around the table in about another 10 minutes or so. But listen, if you were here in this service and you prayed that prayer, maybe during our communion time, or at some time in this service, you said, I, I need Jesus in my life. Listen, these altars are open at the end of our service. I'm going to pray a closing prayer. And while I do, I want you to know, you can step out from where you are, come down to this altar, and one of our prayer team members will pray with you. If you're starting a relationship or starting over, with Jesus. We're going to give you a book that's going to just help you to just learn how to live this thing out every day. And if you're here today and you, you need somebody to just agree with you in prayer for any need in your life, while I pray this prayer, these altars are open. We want to invite you to come and just spend a few moments in God's presence with us. Father, today, Lord, we just, we go out of this place as Christ ambassadors, we go out of this place onto mission. God, wherever you take us, God, we take your presence with us. Jesus, you said all authority and power has been given to me. So God, we take your authority and we take your power everywhere. And God, I pray that you would use us this week to be your instruments, to be your voice, to take your gospel, Lord, everywhere we go, every day, every place, every pace, every moment. God, give us hearts that are sensitive and eyes that are open to be used by you for your glory and honor and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen today. Amen. amen. Let's give God praise one more time today. For what